If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. Serial Season 1, following the infamous case of Adnan Syed, was released in October 2014. Not only did it put podcasting on the map, but it launched true crime podcasts to the top of the podcasting industry. At the time of preparing for this episode, about half of the top 10 podcasts in the United States were true crime focused. Mommy Doomsday, Crime Junkie, Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer, and Morbid all topped the charts. That's not to mention the shows that came before and have even launched television specials such as Dr. Death and Dirty John. So what is it about true crime that makes this genre so captivating? In this episode of On the Mic with Ad Results Media, Nathan Spell and I dive into the history of the true crime podcast and why it's so enticing to listeners. So let's get started. That's the great thing about Stamps.com. They grow with you. As much fun as I had, I couldn't wait to get back to my sleep number bed. Yep. I love my third love bras. They're hands down the most comfortable bras I've ever owned. I love making Blue Apron. I love it. It's my me time. Nathan, I want to kick off this episode by asking you two questions. One, do you listen to any true crime podcasts? And two, what is the first true crime story that you can remember? I'm ashamed to admit that at the moment, I'm not actually listening to any true crime podcasts, which I know is ironic given that the subject of this podcast is why we love true crime. But I'm happy to report that true crime is what got me excited about podcasts in the first place. I think I mentioned on the show before that my first obsession with podcasts started because of Serial. Right. Which obviously is the show that launched a thousand shows in a sense, you know, like the the fervor around that was kind of a moment that swept up so many people. And um, I always liked true crime as a genre outside of podcasts. So just to be clear, like I love real life gangster movies and gangster genre and movies and stuff. So I like liked crime as a subject and obviously true crime shows growing up serial. I've listened to undisclosed, which I don't know if that's everyone's bag, but it's, it's another um, kind of continuation of the same story uh, from a, a different perspective and criminal is one of my favorite shows of all time phoebe judge just does an amazing job i think she's one of the best hosts i think actually like her example as a host is so great oh yeah um, man there's so many um atlanta monster <laughs> there really are yeah atlanta monster was one of my favorites and um yeah honestly i'd, I'd probably say crime town fits the closest like to like the true cr- that not the true crime, but the uh, like the the gangland kind of crime, um, but it's it's also like true. It's Americana, um, so yeah, I have a lot of favorites. It's just at the moment there's none in my rotation. So if you have any that I should be listening to exactly right now, then then uh, then I will. I mean, Crime Junkie is my weekly go to personally. Every every Monday. I tune in unless I'm going on a road trip and then I won't listen to them in the weeks leading up. That way my husband and I can listen to them while we drive. That's strategy, people. That's how you do it. That's how you podcast. So what about the first true crime story you can remember? 
Yeah, you know, that's a really hard one for me. I was born in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking about what what are the true crimes that were big in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, so many crazy stories came out of the 80s and the 90s. Those decades were in this weird sweet spot where you have so many more people like grouped together, cities getting bigger and bigger, and then connection, more and more opportunity for criminals to prowl, frankly, without as much technology as we have today really preventing the worst from happening. But I was I was just too young to be aware of it. So I thought maybe Columbine and the story of that might have been something. Yeah, I think that that's probably my first like big memory. But weirdly enough, you know, like I was too young even because I was seven whenever that happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, school shootings was not on my radar. But if you count 9-11, I'd had to say 9-11, unfortunately, because I was nine years old. I was old enough to know. And it was just on all of the televisions. Um, everywhere. You couldn't not know about it. And so obviously everyone from my teachers to my parents to friends, like we were all processing. That moment really dwarfed any others, unfortunately. But yeah, so you said Columbine for you? Yeah, I'd say that that's probably my first big instance that I can remember, you know, without digging too deep. How old were you? I would have been 10 or 11. That's a lot to process at that age. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely old enough to to kind of understand what had happened. One of the reasons I wanted to ask kind of what you would listen to and the stories that you can remember, according to some of the studies that I've read, including one from Westwood One and another published in the Journal of Radio and Audio Media, mm-hmm. apparently 75% of true crime listeners are women, which was interesting to me because men actually outnumber women in listening to every genre of podcast except for storytelling and drama, which includes true crime. Right. So I was huh. kind of curious, what, what's the fascination with true crime? And why, why does it appeal so much to women? That is an interesting... I don't know that I would have guessed that if you hadn't told me. Maybe I'm biased because I've always been fascinated with it. So I assumed other guys are just like me. Um, but yeah, clearly I'm one of the outliers uh, in terms of my my gender and the podcasts I like to listen to. I kind of wonder if it goes back to maybe being a young girl in a small town. I remember that my parents would warn me a lot about, you know, getting in vans with strangers and never take candy from strangers. <laughs> and there's always been some variation of that story for me growing up. You know, don't accept drinks from strange men at bars. Don't leave with strangers. Always make sure that your friends know where you are. Um, double and triple checking your doors at night. Even now to this day, I share my, like if I'm taking a Lyft or an Uber, you can share your ride route with friends. Hmm. If I'm alone, I absolutely do that. So I'm wondering if it's just kind of a general difference between the way men and women are raised. I, I feel like there are definitely more warnings there for women. Hmm. That's that's an interesting question. I I find that interesting because everything that you just described doing, I also do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I like double, triple checking the doors, uh, constantly being super cautious. Um I don't know that I, I, I have no way of comparing, obviously, if like, um, 
my brain is going through exactly the same questions in the same number of times as like my girlfriend, for example. But mm -hmm. I wonder if there's anything about like the anxiety that I, I know that I, I kind of was raised with the stranger danger stuff too. And maybe that produced some anxiety in me at an early age because I continue to think stranger danger uh, pretty often. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. All of these things were things that I was thinking of when researching for this episode. And I did find a quote from Michael Mantell. He's a founding chief psychologist for the San Diego Police Department. And he did say that women do fear being crime victims more than men do, um, which leads them to having a strong interest in learning how to prevent becoming a victim. That train of thought also aligns with some studies performed by other social psychologists who have found that women are interested in understanding why these types of crimes are committed. Hmm. And it oftentimes leaves them with a sense of preparedness or even comfort. Um, yeah. Like when the protagonist of the story can make it out alive. So that's one driving factor that I've learned about recently. That definitely makes sense. I know thinking through like preparedness is probably I don't know that I consciously am aware of that whenever I listen to true crime. I am. I, absolutely. <laughs> that's interesting. So you're, you're, you're actually, as you listen to a story, you're thinking, what would I do in this situation? How would I, how would I get out of this? And just kind of, yeah, just kind of like mentally preparing for all of the what ifs. So you're saying that's the big, is, so the study, remind me again, the study found that that is the, the main reason that people are, are or that women in particular are drawn to this? It's a big one, yes. There are a couple of other driving factors, though, that I also want to get into. And since we're already kind of at that point, can you guess maybe what the second one is? Ooh. Um, okay, so I know that a huge driver for me is, and I guess you said this a little bit, but maybe a different in a different way. Understanding the why, not just like why it happened in the sense of like, why was this victim in the position they were in, mm -hmm. but understanding, you know, it sounds so cheesy to say this way, but the mind of a criminal and yes. what makes them both the same as me because there's something that's like, they're so different. They're other. Like, I can't fathom, can't fathom doing something like this. And yet at the same time, it's like, this is a person. There's like this, I, I don't know if you know this term. It's kind of a weird, long way of saying what it means, but cognitive dissonance where it's like, mm -hmm. just like a mental mismatch. You're like, I, it's like an itch I can't scratch in my brain. <laughs> And that's what it feels like. It's like how, and the more I try to figure it out, it seems like the less I, I actually am able, or it feels like there's never going to be a resolution. Yeah. No, you're definitely on the right track. Um, it's, it's empathy or, or why, and the, the why and the how behind why, fo why these things happen. So True crime basically gives people the opportunity to empathize with other humans without actually having to experience that trauma themselves. Ah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. It's kind of like how, uh, you know, in a positive sense, 
you know, I started watching the great British bake off and it's like, I get to kind of experience <laughs> what it's like to be under the gun, uh, with Mary Berry criticizing my croissant, but I don't have to actually be in that room. And it, it feels like you get that pressure without being there. You're like, Oh, what's going to happen to them? Except in this case, it's, it's something a little bit more amped up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Scott Vaughn, who is a professor of criminology and the author of Why We Love Serial Killers, has actually said that many people are morbidly drawn to the violence of serial killers because they cannot comprehend their actions but feel compelled to. So not only are listeners empathizing and relating to the victims of the crime, but they're compelled to further understand the criminal as well. He also went on to state, they simply need to understand why anyone would do such horrible things to other people who generally are complete strangers to them. I, I guess it's not surprising to me because that is honestly probably my biggest motivation whenever I'm listening or whenever I'm watching anything related to true crime, especially then when you're listening to a podcast and, and you have a host going through conversations, you want them to somehow uncover the meaning of it all. And and part of what you mean by that is like, what's going on in this person's head that leads them to do something so unthinkable? So something else that I found interesting was that many people who identified with the empathetic approach, they were also seeking out feelings of thrill-seeking. So apparently the same shot of adrenaline that you might experience from skydiving or riding a roller coaster is the same one felt when we witness unspeakable actions. Hearing and ingesting that information gives you that same kind of shot of adrenaline, but kind of in a safe space. It's so funny that you say that because I almost thought it was a joke answer on my part, but I was like, <laughs> no, are we just... Are we just such gluttons for content at this point that we would rather like, you know, we just need input so badly that we'd rather be terrified out of our pants than to just kind of be bored for 30 minutes, like having 30 minutes of like the adrenaline of something that's terrifying, objectively terrifying. And if we were there in the real situation, it would be a nightmare. But when there's distance, it's, it's, it's sad to say because it's something you always have to remember that there's a real life person, you know, as we're going to be talking with shows and, and, or, or people, content creators that work in this genre, it just becomes very real that, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to forget when you're listening, I think after a while, although on, at the same time, the empathy is always there, but there's something that at a gut level, like you can't help, but crave that that roller coaster moment of the fear. So that is something that was also studied by Scott Bond. Hmm. Um, that true crime does trigger the fear response in listeners. And like I stated earlier, it leads people to look at the genre as a way of facing their fears without actually experiencing any type of danger. During this time, people also tend to subconsciously develop strategies to handle it in the event that they find themselves in a similar situation. So like I said earlier, when I listen to true crime, the entire time, the only thing I'm thinking is, how would I get out of this if I found myself in this situation? Yeah. It's interesting because it, on the one hand, you're talking about like this innocuous dose of the fear, mm -hmm. which it's it feels almost like there's this, I, I can't help but come up with the idea of a vaccination. I know that that's a weird time <laughs> to bring this up, but it's like, 
you've taken all of the things that could really hurt someone out of that mm-hmm. and you package it in a way that like, you, you know, if you, especially if you are kind of with the mindful and intention of, of preparing yourself, like that approach to listening to a podcast can actually really protect you. It can really help you be more vigilant in the real world. It's funny that you brought up how it's kind of like a shot. I have a quote from Georgia Hardstark, who's one of the hosts of My Favorite Murder. And she said that listening to true crime stories is a lot like exposure therapy, where you have to confront your fear to prove that it can't actually hurt you. It's interesting that she says it that way. Um, the, obviously, it's like that crucial difference is it's exposure to something that really can hurt you. Mm-hmm. But it's in a it's in a safe it's like it's boxed in a way that you can like you can take all of that what otherwise might be kind of chaotic anxiety about strangers and the dangers mm-hmm. and you can instead funnel that into something very useful partly because you're you have this channel of like a real filter like you have examples the sad thing is like any one person who's in in one of those situations learns a terrible lesson. And in the best case scenario, you know, it's so difficult for them mm-hmm. to, to ever come out of that. But as a genre, true crime has really taken what could only be terrible in that context and like recontextualized it and made it something that people can actually get a lot out of. And it takes that lesson, it repackages it in a way that it's so much more effective at helping other people avoid ever being put in that kind of situation. And I, I'm just struck by like, how does that make you feel like that, <laughs> that kind of con like that, all that context and all that perspective, like it, I love the genre. It's something that I, I really do get that gut level thrill about it. I'm just, I guess it's always something I try to square with the reality, the harsh reality about it, it not being fiction. One of the interesting things that stuck out to me in my research when I was going through these different studies is that there was an overwhelming number of people who kind of came out to say that listening to some of this is almost a way to explore the dark side of themselves. And that's kind of one of the thrills of it. That's interesting. I I was really shocked by that. So... Hmm. You know, kind of that that weird joy that you get out of listening to true crime or, you know, watching true crime or, you know, whatever medium you're ingesting. There seems to be this kind of part of people who are like, what if that was me? What if I was capable of doing something like that? Is that me? Do I need to be worried? They find themselves, you know, empathizing with the not just the victim but the person committing the crimes as well that is fascinating if i'm being honest my my gut reaction was to to say like that's just terrifying to think but i think it makes sense like if we're going to be interested in this other person and we're having that empathetic this is someone who went through this terrible thing as a victim and then we're also going to wonder what is it like to be this perpetrator one of the questions we have to ask is, what if I was in these people's shoes? And how do I know I'm not? 
Apparently, a lot of people ask themselves that question. Yeah. And in both cases, obviously, the question is scary. And yet it's also like one of those questions that feels necessary. It's so human. I think that's probably what I'm taking away from all this. What I'm getting is this is just really primal human nature stuff that we're dealing with. And I actually have an interesting fact from clinical psychologist, Dr. John Mayer. He actually studies violence in media. He goes on to explain that some of the true crime phenomenon is tied directly to the human fight or flight response. His research indicates that when people become aware of violent situations or disasters, the amygdala, which is responsible for emotions, survival tactics, memory, it's stimulated. Uh, From there, signals are sent to the frontal cortex and the brain evaluates whether the awareness of the act of violence or disaster is a threat. So from there, their judgment is then involved and the fight or flight responses is evoked. So basically what you're saying about it being very primal, it it really is. And it's that idea that like, there's something about the judgment call that determines the fight or flight. There's something that happens where it's it's the assessment of the situation that has to flip a switch, fight or flight. So it has to make a call in the moment like, is it safer to fight? Am I more likely to survive if I stand my ground or if I turn and run? Like that, the ability to flip that switch is something that we're working out whenever we're listening to true crime. It's something that our brain is like exercising. I'm going to be honest, that's really cool. So he did find that that same response can be triggered not only by actual events, but by true crime stories. And he said that even if the stories are fictitious, your brain goes into that mode. He says, witnessing violence and destruction, whether it is in a novel, a movie, on TV, or a real life scene playing out in front of us in real time, gives us the opportunity to confront our fears of death, pain, despair, degradation, and annihilation while still feeling some level of safety. It all starts to tie back into being able to experience it within a safe space and that thrill-seeking, and that kind of primal urge to, what do I do? Do I fight this or do, or do I run? I think it's interesting, too, that he mentioned the sort of fear of death, that mm-hmm. obviously we all, at a certain level, are in denial about the reality of this mortal coil. <laughs> and um, just dropping some, some Bill Shakespeare for you, you know? Um, I think it's interesting that it's partly that we're repressing the fear of death in our normal life. And yet we know deep down that we have to confront it. Mm-hmm. And I know this is, this is really heavy stuff, obviously, to be talking through. But I think it's something to keep in mind that whether you're a listener of a show or you're an advertiser who is reaching listeners that show, people are in a very specific place. They're in a place of vulnerability, but it's also a place that's really authentically human. You're listening to a show, you're connecting with a host who's taking you to a very deep place and a very dark place, but they're also helping you walk through it. And we need that. That's something that we need. It's therapeutic. It is. I don't know. So I guess the takeaway is like, we love true crime. 
because that's how we're wired. We're wired to wonder. We're wired to dread. We're wired to seek thrills. And we're also wired to like explore like our unconscious to somehow confront what's there in some way. Obviously, there's lots of ways to do that. I, what I like about this way to do it is I, li I really like the practical part of it. I like the idea that if you're, you know, a young person making your way in the world and you're feeling alone and you're, you're in a city and, or you're not in wherever you are, because obviously these situations happen in every place. There's something about true crime specifically that makes you feel prepared and makes you feel vigilant. You feel safer for having confronted it. Everything that we've talked about so far is very much, you know, within our own feelings of like anxiety and, and whatnot. Can you guess what the final driver behind what compels listeners to indulge in true crime is? The one that I was going to say you've already covered as well, which is I, I do feel like that, un, like exploring your own unconscious and like, where are there these dark things maybe in you? Or are you capable of it? I think that people are afraid to admit that, but I'm I'm struggling to come up with another reason. Um, it's an overall sense of justice, being able oh. to yes. Well, that being now that feels be... so obvious that I feel <laughs> stupid for not saying it. Yes, yeah, being able to be a part of solving that mystery. Gosh, you're so like, I, it honestly feels like we just, we were walking around looking at a room, describing the room. And then, and then we are like, so did you notice the elephant? Like, that's how it feels like <laughs> to me because, because absolutely you want to know who did it. You want them, you want them to be brought to the consequences that must be had. Like you have this sense of like, if there are no consequences, it's unacceptable, unacceptable. It has actually become apparent to a lot of podcast listeners that the American justice system obviously is not as fail-proof as many of us have been led to believe. A lot of these open-ended cases have inspired listeners to try to solve the crimes at hand. And there are a lot of folks around the country who have come together to share this information, like through Facebook groups or online forums. And some of this kind of, I don't know, amateur investigative work and information sharing has actually brought new evidence to light in several cases and has shown an increase in holding authorities accountable. I think it's so cool now that we have the community aspect in part because of these podcasts, because the technology has gotten better, obviously. Everything's gotten better too. Like they're, they're just, forensics is a term for the better, but there's just so many, so many cases that have been open for so long. I'm thinking about being a family who is affected by one of these stories and ends up, you know, being reported on. And there was a part of me that was thinking it would be hard to be viewed as something like a form of entertainment. But I think that this is the piece that makes it worth it. Because if you as a mother or as a sister or brother or someone have this happen to you, to your family, you're thinking as many eyes and ears, as many people that are looking into this, honestly, it, like I said, it felt like a elephant in the room moment. I think that's our most like present conscious reason. 
like the first thing that we're thinking about. I think a lot of what we were talking about has been like a deeper subconscious level that is also in play. But um, I mean, obviously there's the preparedness and the, that, that first kind of most like the most present reason. But I think this is a big reason that people keep coming back. And I was reading that it's not just necessarily people trying to solve the crimes, but people are able to find and connect with folks who have been in similar situations. And so they're able to kind of have this community that maybe they didn't have initially. That's so good. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's like, obviously you never want to be, as someone who's never had that happen, you think, I hope that never happens to me. And when it does, the amount of loneliness and just isolation, having someone else with you in any capacity who knows what you're going through has got to be just so welcome. That's a really cool, I mean, it's not something that I think about too often whenever I'm thinking about true crime podcasts, but that gives me hope in a way. Like it gives me hope about people. I like that. We need, we need more of that. Combine all of these factors together and you have that strong driving force behind why true crime podcasts exploded the way that they did. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Serial in 2014 seems to be the main launching point for true crime podcasts as we know them today. And not only did it solidify podcasting as a true storytelling medium, but it put true crime on the map. And it seems to have offered additional opportunities to women in the space. Out of some of the top true crime podcasts that I mentioned in the intro, seven of the hosts are women. And it seems to be giving women the microphone and giving them, you know, these spots as creative leads in a way that we haven't necessarily seen in other mediums. And, and it seems to be paying off for listeners and, and advertisers alike. As someone who believes in equality, it's sort of frustrating whenever you don't see change happening in media. And at the same time, you feel like, how do you force change to happen in something like, you know, it feels so out of your hands. And I love that in this genre, that's about, it's just a, it's so focused on stories that are disheartening and often feature women who have been made the victim by just twisted men. Often there's a, a very, very satisfying sense of justice that women are leading this sort of this communal resistance i think that i don't know if you've paid attention to like the golden state killer and all of the reporting that was done um michelle mcnamara and i mean it's one of the most inspiring and and difficult stories her just like the heroic amount of reporting and the people that came together. And like, I guess, like I said, it's just nice to have this sense that like there's a real community, there's barriers being broken down ironically in a, in an area that is often very, very difficult to kind of look at. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes and leave us a comment with your feedback, questions, or ideas for future segments. If you would like more info on Ad Results Media and what we do, please visit us online at adresultsmedia.com. This podcast is an Ad Results Media production. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.